You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You are listening to Episode 11, Inside Out Missions. When we think about taking our students on mission trips, geography is usually a big player in the decision, and sometimes the first thing we think about is this going to be a domestic trip, an international trip, Uh, where are we going to go, and who are we going to join up with? Uh, Is it a mission organization? Is it with missionaries that our church supports? Uh, But the destination is certainly a big factor. And when we look at what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1, he used what I would call an inside-out approach and starts with where they are, in Jerusalem, and then going out from there, but starting in Jerusalem. And when we think of doing missions in our city, where we live, we think about inner city, we think about homeless shelters, maybe vacation Bible school. But I want to think about and talk about what a year-round focused and versatile approach is to doing missions where we live. And to help me talk about that is my guest, Tim Carpenter. Tim is the executive director of Hidden Acres. Uh, Hidden Acres is a camp in East Texas. And while they have programming year-round, their biggest focus of the year is what they do during the summer. And a large chunk of their summer programming are camps for refugee children. Uh, The Dallas area has a very large refugee population, and their approach is pretty unique. And I think it's a great model to discuss and even uh, to look at replicating where you live. So let's go ahead and hop into that conversation. Tim, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Uh, For those who don't know you, could you give us a quick overview of who you are and what you're up to these days? Sure. Yeah. Uh, My name is Tim Carpenter. Uh, I'm married to Rebecca Carpenter. We have six children. Um, And some people think we're a little crazy for that, but uh, we enjoy it. We kind of lead a different life than a lot of people. We live out at a camp and retreat center. It's called Hidden Acres. Uh, I'm the executive director out there. We we live on site, uh, so our kids have a, a beautiful backyard, um, a fun place to run around. Um, I've been out here pretty much most of my life, So, um, but I've been executive director for the last two years um, and learning that role, uh, growing in my understanding of what that means and, and moving forward. So, Very cool, man. Very cool. Uh, Well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, we'll be talking about approaching mission trips with the perspective Jesus gave his disciples before his ascension in Acts 1-8, where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus started with where they currently were and named regions that gradually expanded geographically. Essentially, Are we looking for mission opportunities in our own backyard before hopping in a van or on a plane to go somewhere else? Uh, This isn't to say that destination mission trips are worse or a wrong choice, 
but it is something to think about. Uh, before we dive too much into that specifically, Tim, I wanted to start from the beginning. Uh, you mentioned that you've been here most of your life. Um, so how did you personally and then your family become involved with Hidden Acres and what keeps you here? All right. Well, um, I've been involved pretty much since the beginning of Hidden Acres life. Um, goes back to when I was about six years old. Uh, my uncle was my pastor at a little church in South Dallas called Metropolitan Bible Church. And he had been doing camp ministry since the 60s, um, but he always dreamed of kind of having his own place to do camps. Uh, he had been to many camps all around um, the U.S., renting out facilities and kind of doing their own camps, but he wanted his own facility. And so one day a friend of his found this property out in Kaufman, Texas, and told him, hey, you need to come check this out. Came out here and that day put down a down payment on this property. Wow. And so um, that was in 1984, and that's where this place began. There was nothing here really is raw land except one little building called we called the Hunter's Cabin. Um, and from there, just began developing it. So I was I was young at that time. I was like six years of age, but... I was minus one years old, so yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Very nice. Um, but we... Um, you know, I came out here with our church. You know, we did a lot of picnics and had some events out here, some tent camping um, as they began developing buildings um, throughout throughout the years. Um, and then as far as my role, it began changing, obviously, as I got older, uh, graduated high school, and I started, um, I, I was a part of the first team where they changed kind of missions where they started using young adults to lead the camps. Before, it was just um, older volunteers from the church. Hey, who can come cook? Who can come help lead a, a crew for for a week or something like that? And I was kind of a part of that first team where we transitioned. Um, and I did that for quite a few years. And then in 03, I, I graduated college. And that was also, or I graduated in 02, but then I uh, married my wife in 03, and right after that, I co-led um, camps for the first time. So my cousin and I, we were co-directors for summer camp. So that's that's really where that started. I did that for about 14 years as far as summer camp director. And then about two years ago, became the executive director. So I kind of went, I wasn't looking for that role. Uh, my uncle had approached me uh, a number of years back, probably about seven or eight years ago, and I was like, no, I was being like Moses. I was kind of running from it, giving him every excuse why he should pick someone else. Yeah. And, um, and but a couple of years ago, it came up again, and he was ready to retire and pull out. And uh, my wife and I had some serious conversations about it and some serious prayer. And we just figured, listen, if God's calling us to do this, he will give us what we need to do the job. So, yeah, I jumped in. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I love that your involvement in this ministry is very much in the context of legacy. You saw family uh, make the first step to uh, buy this property and think long-term, what can this be used for? How can the gospel be advanced? How can the kingdom be advanced by the use of these fields and trees and space to build cabins. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, you fast tracked right from college to marriage to boom, I'm doing this mm-hmm. very big milestones all back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we're going to allude, uh, and talk about, uh, this for the rest of the podcast, but, um, and kind of in a, maybe in like a short statement or a brief summary, what keeps you and Rebecca and the kids here? Um, you know, you prayed about it and made the decision to step up into the executive role. But after being here all these years, what keeps you here at Hidden Acres? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the number one thing I can say to that is that it's a calling. Um, I financially, it's, it's not a great paying job. Um, <laughs> and I think most people in the ministry probably are in this, a similar boat. Amen. <laughs> you can agree. Um, but I know it was, I, I, I taught in schools as well. So I taught for about six years um, when I felt like God was really calling us. We, we saw Hidden Acres growing. It was about 2007 when we realized how this place has grown over the years. And it was then where I had the thought, you know what, this place is never going to take another step or grow unless people can dedicate time to it. And, you know, we kept kind of praying about that, like, God, what does that mean? Um, Who's going to be that person? We're looking around to try to find who could give more time to it. And then I felt like God's just pointing at me saying, you're the man. Like, I want you to spend more time to it. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, how do I do that? I've got a family of three uh, kids at that time. And um, I'm a teacher, not getting paid a ton. And Hidden Acres couldn't afford to pay. So where do I go? You know, and so we began really praying, what does this mean in our life? And Rebecca and I felt like God was calling us to take a step of faith out of teaching and to start raising our own support as missionaries to be able to do what we felt like God was calling us to do. So we did. We stepped out. Uh, it was kind of a crazy step, but we bet we both felt like felt very strongly this is what God wanted for us. And we were both on board with it and fine with it. And it's funny because the, the day I'm walking down the hallway to meet with the headmaster to tell him I'm not coming back, my heart starts beating, you know. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm about to do this, right? But I did, and we took that leap, and we took that step, and I've never looked back. I mean, it's, it's one of those God moments in my life where I'm like, only He could provide. Like, we've never lacked for food or something, uh, lodging or anything, you know. Like, we've always had people support us, and um, He's provided every need we've had. So it's been, it's been awesome to see. Again, it kind of goes back to that calling. When God calls you to do something, He'll give you what you need to do it. And, um, we didn't know how he was going to do it. Uh, He has every step of the way. That's a great story that, that kind of flips, uh, the idea of moving up the ladder and, uh, staying at a job for certain perks on its head. Because, um, when people usually answer that question, what keeps you at your job or position, they say, uh, Oh, the uh, pay is great or I really love what I do, which you do love what you do. But a big theme and why you and Rebecca are staying is because you're wanting to depend on God. Mm-hmm. You're staying 
for a harder choice of leaping out in faith for others to provide, for God to, to provide through a network of donors so you uh, can make an impact on, on the kingdom. And you're definitely putting uh, what you're doing for the kingdom first, mm. right? Definitely you want to make sure that uh, you and your family are provided for. Mm. And as you mentioned, God has provided for you. But the reason you're staying is to keep watching God do amazing things and for you to depend on Him, not not necessarily because, well, I know I'm going to get this awesome paycheck and this thing's coming and great things are coming, but they're not conventional things maybe people look for in their vocation. And I think mm-hmm. that's a powerful witness, man. I think it's a really cool thing. Do you mind if I share one more thing? Please, please. That? So I was um, thinking of one of the things I, I tell my kids a lot is to invest in things that have eternal value. And so it's something Rebecca and I have decided a long time ago that the things we want to be about are things that have um, value beyond this life. So, yeah, I don't doubt that I could seek a job, that I could buy a nicer car or a bigger house or have some great property somewhere. Um, and I'd sure love to have those things. That'd be great. But um, but in the end, those things will pass away. Those things will rust. Um but the things that we do here at this camp, I mean, they'll last for all eternity. The relationships we form, the lives that come to know who Jesus Christ is, um, that they'll last forever. And yeah. so for us to invest in those things, um, I, in fact, I was just reading to our staff last night a verse that says, dedicate yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the work you do is for the Lord is not in vain. And uh, it may not pay well at um, in this world, but it has eternal value. So. Yeah, I love that. Eternal value. Yeah, the eternal perspective is something that even if you've been a believer for a while, it's still hard to put your frame of mind in that because mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in what's in front of you, especially when it comes to tangible needs like finances, food, shelter. Um, but that's a really good blinders off. Uh, I've mentioned that a lot. My listeners have heard that a lot. I, the taking the blinders off and seeing way out here in your periphery where God's at work, where you didn't even think about it before mm-hmm. and how it relates to you. And you can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we typically associate urban or inner city ministry with the idea of approaching mission opportunities where we live. When we say we stay home, those are the things that we think of. And there are fantastic ministries within that scope, not only throughout the country, but the world. Uh, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, founded and led by Dr. Tony Evans, is one of the more well-known churches in Dallas that engages well in that area of ministry. Uh, But Hidden Acres takes a slightly different angle, specifically with the refugee outreach and programming. Uh, It's sort of a mixture of VBS, summer camp, engaging them where they live, and even supporting them and encouraging them throughout the year with school supplies and even some Hidden Acres staff who are teachers and have the kids in their classes. Uh, So Tim, how has the ministry strategy here developed over the years? What did it look like at first? How did it get to where it is now? And why is the ministry here at Hidden Acres distinct from other urban or inner city ministries? Okay, yeah. So at first, um, going back all the way to the beginning, it was just tent camping. Um, started with primarily the church I grew up with, Metropolitan Bible Church, doing events out here and doing small camps for our members. 
Um, so it stayed like that for a number of years. Um, our, my, my uncle was very involved in the community. So he was a part of the Kiwanis club in Pleasant Grove. And so being a part of that club, they had the idea to reach out to that community. And so, um, they, that started that partnership and that's over 20 years ago where that was formed. And so they began sponsoring kids. Their, their view was every kid should have the opportunity to go to camp. They, they knew the life-changing ability that a camp has. It's kind of unique from a lot of other places to be able to get people out of their environments, out of the distracting distractions that they have in this world, and get to a place, a quiet place. And if you look at Scripture, that happens a lot too. God gets people out of their normal routine, pulls That's them right. out to the wilderness, mm-hmm. and then speaks to them, right? And so we kind of see the same thing here. Like, God gets you out of your routine, and uh, thinking outside the box a little bit and in a quiet, safe place where you can hear his voice. And so our leaders um, felt like every kid needed to have, have this opportunity. And there's a lot of kids that could not afford to be able to do that. Um, it's just something that wasn't on a lot of families' radars, at least in that area, that they're, you know, they're too busy providing the needs of their family, much less, you know, trying to save another couple hundred dollars to send their kids to a camp that just wasn't on the priority list. But for us, we saw the life changing ability and wanted that to be a part of what we do. Um, so anyway, long story short, the Kiwanis Club, they began sponsoring kids, getting them out here, and then we would do the camp program for them. And it, that began developing a little bit. And, um, that stayed that way. I mean, till this day, we still work with Kiwanis, the Kiwanis Club in that area, and they bring out inner city kids and sponsor them, and we do the the camp program for them. And then uh, in 07 is when uh, the refugee idea came our way. And I'll be honest, I was not on my radar. I was not looking for it. Um, it's one of those things that God kind of brought to our doorstep, and it's like, what are we going to do with this? Um, so our leadership, our board, our staff sat down, debated it. We weren't sure if we should do this or not. Um, it was new. It was out of the ordinary. We didn't know how to do it, where to even start with it. Um, and in the end, it's kind of a pretty cool story, but um, the board finally said, we'll do this if you can figure out how you're going to pay for it. So that came back to me and and one of our other board members that was really involved in it. And so we went back to the church. We were meeting with a lady named Elisa Marks. She had started a Refugee Resources, and she's still doing that to this day. And we, we went back to that meeting, and in that meeting, she slides an envelope over to us, and we open it, and it's a check to do the camps. And I looked at my um, the board member that was there with me, and we both had the same thought. Like, I guess God wants us to do this. Man, that's awesome. And so, so that's where it began. Um, and we started there. Some some years it was by faith, um, and as far as financially to be even be able to even run the camp. There were a few summers where we ate the cost of a camp of a week of camp because we didn't raise enough money, but we had already planned it and our staff was prepped and the the organizations were still ready. And so we went ahead and did it out of faith that God wanted us to do it. 
and uh, and it was it was a challenge. I mean, those first couple years, just trying to understand how to work with refugee children, um, their backgrounds. Some of them were bringing some hurts and pains with them that um, translated into some issues that we had out here, and it it was a challenge. And we it was a learning experience for me. I had no idea how many lived in the Dallas area. I had no idea where they were coming from. I had no idea what those cultures were like. And we just kind of dove head first into this and um, learned as we went. And um, it's it's really interesting to look back and just to see, again, you, we take that step. I know I've already said this a couple of times, but when when we did something, again, that we felt like God was calling us to do, and we felt like he was answering everything that we threw his way, like, God, should we do this? We don't have the money. Here's the money. Okay, I guess we're supposed to do this now. He's throwing away our excuses. So so let's dive into this. Um, he provided what we needed when we needed. And um, so another example of how he provided that first year, um, we got a group of Burundis that had just gotten off the plane like a month before. Wow. So... They knew no English, knew very little about America, um, and they're coming out to this camp. And the week before, we had this kid that was with us. His name's Diodani. And we were so impressed with him, we asked him, hey, could you come next week? We, we could use your help. And it just so happens that he spoke the same language that the Burundis spoke. And he became our translator all week. Wow. And we, we didn't know that was going to happen. It was just happened. And again, God showed how he'll provide what we need. It, it's interesting. His name, Diodani, means God's gift. And so we kept calling That's him so that, cool. that, hey, Diodani, you were God's gift to us to help That's us. That's right. So... Anyway, that that's kind of um, how we got into the the refugee camps, and and okay. from there they just began developing, and um, to the point where we started partnering with churches mm-hmm. and bringing them on board. We saw kind of a value in um, kind of a multifaceted camp where we're providing this opportunity for refugees to come out here, hear the gospel, learn who Jesus is, and just love them. You know, love them as Jesus would. But then we saw the value in churches pulling them in to partner with us to do the same thing. And and now we're not only providing that, but we're helping these churches develop leaders in their youth groups and helping uh, youth leaders uh, train some of their kids to be leaders and to think outside the box. Give them an opportunity as well to see the diversity in our world, see the diversity um, in different cultures and bringing that out here in one place for all can be a part of that and get to know these people and get to know their backgrounds, hear their stories and just love them as Jesus would. That's really cool, man. That, so, uh, I, I heard how everything developed and, you know, a lot of it, almost all of it is basically in the same vein of why you guys are still here at Hidden Acres. It's, on faith. It's, all right, well, uh, we feel like God wants us to do this. We feel like this is really kingdom advancing, so we're going to do this. If God doesn't show up, then this is going to fail. We have to do something else. Mm -hmm. And yet, He clearly provided 
even though there was adversity, you mentioned eating costs. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people who own businesses or do business hear that and probably grit their teeth. They're like, "Oh mm-hmm. man, doing that for m- multiple summers." Uh, but uh, you know, you guys have continued to flourish, and I think uh, the strategy of Hidden Acres has continued to grow. But it's been at the root of um, what has eternal value. And when you mentioned uh, training leaders in youth groups, that's planting seeds. That goes into the idea of making disciples. That's Mm -hmm. allowing people to join in with you. Um, And we'll talk about the ongoing model here uh, in a second. But kind of what I see from what you said is what makes Hidden Acres distinct is, um, you know, a lot of other urban and inner city ministries that I've seen or been a part of, um, they sort of have a main strategy, and they might invite other people into it, but that strategy is really focused. It's um, Sometimes it's, it's really simple. It's still needed. I mean, there needs to be soup kitchens and people engaging with people on the street and uh, people being able to have an after-school program for people who are inner city because, you know, the, the one common thing with urban, inner city, and even Hidden Acres with refugee um, children is, Oftentimes at home, uh, it might not be a place where they get nutrition uh, mentally, emotionally, or physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's really, really cool that uh, I think partnering with churches has really been able to expand the ministry here. Because as far as I know, uh, when partnering churches come and uh, youth group uh, students like mine come out here, we essentially help pay for the camp. And so the children who come out here don't have to pay. That's right. And so, uh, you know, it's a place where parents can say, well, I'm not sure about this Jesus guy, but you're, you're going to be cared for, fed and loved. So go. Mm-hmm. And, um, you have some staffers that have been here and are here who are former campers. Mm-hmm. That That's is right. discipleship. That mm-hmm. is planting seeds. That's a long-term vision. And uh, I think that is also one big thing about mission trips. It's not just the inside out and looking in in your own backyard. It's also where are you investing? And yes, destination mission trips absolutely impact the kingdom, and there are very valuable things to be had. But I think looking first where you live um, is underrated. And one other big piece that Hidden Acres fits in um, is a is a model, um, not even just locally, but the long term vision. Mm-hmm. It fits a very good model, and so I want to conclude by talking about how this sort of model that Hidden Acres does could be replicated elsewhere for those who are listening and thinking, "Man, I don't know if there's an organization like Hidden Acres in my city or in my town, but maybe over here there is, or a little farther away, or maybe I can partner with some other people and we can start one." Right, uh, Craig Rochelle's church, Life Church, developed a class study a few years back that produced a book along with resources, and it's all called "When Helping Hurts." So the basic premise is that isolated mission trips um, that are short term uh, can often cause more detriment and dependence for the people who are there long term, even though the short term results are great for pictures and maybe a pat on the back. Um, it's essentially taking the give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish perspective on missions. Um, 
And so you want to be able to teach people to build a home or to take care of themselves, not go and do it for a week and then leave and they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. want to be able to plant seeds, help them out, right? Think long term. Uh, and one solution that the study talks about is to partner with and support ministries on the ground who are already engaged in comprehensive, ongoing ministry that sees long-term as, the, as a goal instead of a well-wished hope, and that's Hidden Acres. So, Tim, uh, what fruit have you seen personally and the Hidden Acres leadership? Uh, uh, what have you all seen over the years uh, fruit from your ministry? And secondly, what are some guidance points that you would give other churches and ministries around the country of how to start and approach the Hidden Acres model of outreach? Okay. Well, um, let me go back to strategy for just a second. Um, when I think of our strategy, just a few years ago, we, we felt like we needed to go back and simplify our, our mission statement and, and what are we called to do, kind of reevaluate that. And we spent some considerable time um, thinking about who we are, what are we called to do, um, and where are we going. And with that, we came up with what I call the three E's, experience Christ, expand community, and equip leaders. Um, these are the three things that kind of keep us focused on where we're going. Um, we always want to provide a, a place where people can experience Christ and get to know Him if they They've never heard of who he is and how he can um, give life to them. Um, but if they do know who he is, a way to even grow closer to him. The next one's expand community, and this is um, all about loving people, loving um, your your horizontal relationships, right? Those from on your right and left, and and to develop those, love people to your right and left, um, but also expand that so that. You get to know other people. You get to know people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, and see the beauty in God's diversity. Uh, I, I love getting to know people and where they came from, and I, I love hearing stories of how they got where they are, and their, I love hearing people's dreams about where they want to go. And that's we want to provide a place here at Hidden Acres that people can do that and, and expand those communities. And the last one is to equip leaders. And so... Um, just a real quick story, uh, probably, I, I don't remember, I, I lose track of time, but it was one day where my uncle had come out here just to visit while we had camp going on, and we're standing in the dining hall, and he points to our staff, and he says, you've got just as big a ministry in those guys as you do with those campers. Hmm. And that was life-changing for me, because up until that point, I mean, I had been directing camp for a number of years at that point. And up until that point, my whole focus was campers, 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 right? Just, it's all about the campers. And when he said that, it just a light bulb went off in my head about, this is more than just the campers. Yes, campers is a big focus of camp. But these guys out here, guys and girls that are on our staff, these um, youth groups coming out, um, there's an investment there in growing them as young leaders. I mean, these are leaders of the future, in our nation. And so, um, so that's when I began spending more time, um, focused on helping them grow as leaders and prepping them and preparing them well for camp, but also for life and, and what it means to be a leader like Jesus was a leader. Um, 
So that's that's kind of what drives everything we do, those three things. So even when we branch out and see um, the refugee community or the inner city community or even the churches coming out, like we want that to be a part of each of those camps in every level. We want our younger kids to know Christ, to expand their community, and to know a few leadership characteristics, you know, as they're growing up. Um, and the same with each of those communities. Um, the fruit I've seen personally, um, gosh, it's hard to know where to start. Just I've, I can tell you countless stories that have happened out here. But I'll try to narrow it down to a few. Some of my goals were to begin and it kind of goes under the equipped leaders phase of this, was to begin investing in our campers to become some of our future leaders as well. And I wanted to, for people from every background that we work with, is my desire. And so from the churches that were coming out here, I wanted to to develop leaders from that background, from some of the inner, inner city camps. I wanted to train them to be leaders as well, not only just for our purpose, for Hidden Acres, but also for their communities. I mean, they're going back to their communities, and we want them to be able to impact where they live as well. That's right. In a positive way. And and also with the refugee community. And so, you know, we began incorporating different leadership aspects in into their lives and helping them learn what that meant uh, part of that was to develop leadership retreats that's kind of where we started kind of developed a whole leadership program and uh, again it was based on three things one was identity for them to understand more about who they are the second was mentorship like they're always growing and learning from people wiser and people that have more experience in certain areas and then the last one was action, that they always had an opportunity to take what they're learning about themselves, what they're learning from others, and put it into action. Like, we, ne- we never wanted people to just grow in knowledge and then s- stay there, but we wanted them to take that knowledge and put it into action. So we kind of based our leadership retreats around that model um, to begin training them. And so those leadership retreats, we'd always focus on one characteristic, teach them about what that meant. Uh, use characters in the Bible to show them examples, have uh, people talk about it. They'd talk about it in a small group, but then we'd always have an aspect of service where they take that and we want them to put it into action. So whether we went to a nursing home and did something for them or served them in a certain way, or we did some uh, uh, a service project at Hidden Acres, we always wanted some some way for them to take leadership characteristics and put it into action so that's kind of that um it, some of the fruit I, i'll just say um we've been able to achieve some of that i mean it obviously i wish we could do it faster you know and i'd i'd love to have more um but i mean people like diodani who i mentioned to you and uh, who was a refugee from the congo and just really impressed us in how fast he grew as a young leader showed great leadership qualities became one of our head counselors guy by the name of shadrick um awesome guy uh, also a refugee and came here and came to our camp began investing in him he began he started coming to our leadership retreats uh, he was the first uh, refugee that actually served on our core staff which was pretty cool and that's our that's our core team is our team that kind of runs the camp basically um they they brainstorm all the games, put the schedule together, help 
everybody stay on the schedule. They lead uh, the games. They lead the messages, worship, you know. And so it's pretty cool to have him a part of all of that. Um, someone like Michaela, Michaela Bell, she um, came through our inner city program with uh, Kiwanis. And just a neat young lady. It's kind of a cool story. She was um, one that was a little sassy, you know, when she was a camper. Uh, one that, I'll be honest, you know, when there were times where we would get really frustrated with her as a camper. Um, and just shows you the power of just being patient and enduring and investing and not giving up on people. Because she has the last couple of years been one of our, um, I don't how do I say it, most fun counselors. I mean, just kids love her. She's got so much energy. I mean, when she walks in the room, she just pulls the whole room up, and it's just neat to watch her. And so, someone that came from as a camper that was really tough to deal with sometimes, and kind of had an attitude to our staff to um, someone that now is leading those kids. And even she would say, you know, oh, I can I can work with this because I used to have an attitude like that. And and she understands that, and she saw how she grew as an individual. Um, and so I just I love seeing transformation. I love seeing someone go from that to something that God makes beautiful and uses their gifts uh, to just change people's lives. And that's Michaela Bell. That's another example. But I could tell you story after story of, of these kind of individuals that have just grown up, started coming to our leadership retreats, became came, became part of our staff, and um, now are changing other people's lives, letting God work through them. So that's some of the fruit um, advice I'd give. Um, man, uh, my advice is pretty simple. <laughs> it's you know, one, follow God's guidance. I mean, I, we go back to Scripture, and we keep it pretty simple, like, what does God say in these areas? And and for us, um, God has led us every step of the way, and we had the decision to either follow or not. And so when we followed Him, He has always provided. He has always shown us the way. He's always sent the right people at the right time to help us develop what we needed to develop. Um. One uh, number two, we um, we wanted to love others as Christ loved them, and that's that's a big thing during our training weeks when we talk to the churches that come in and we train them for a day, um, or our staff that come out for a full week. One of the big things we push is love people, <laughs> love love Jesus in them, right? Love love them to where they can't miss Jesus in your life. Yeah that they look at you and say, there's something different about you, and I want that. And so that's one of the things uh, that we just really push when we're out here. Uh, we try to, I try to really encourage them never to, our staff, never to approach people as a project, right? That we approach them as an image bearer of God, that God created everybody in His image. And each person has value. Each person has um, has unique characteristics and traits. And so that's one of the things that we really um, try to instill in our staff and the groups that come out here, that they invest in people and that they love people well. So I love that, man. Uh, loving others like Christ 
and seeing the image of God in them, even because they are made in the image of God, uh, I think that really, um, I mean, obviously it's it's powerful. It's also incredibly difficult because uh, when you talked about Michaela and uh, difficult campers, uh, when I've been out here over the years, I've definitely seen and engaged with uh, campers who were difficult is one word I would give for some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we have to think about what their lives are like overall, especially at home and the opportunity that we have to engage with them well and hopefully provide some normalcy or a scope, um, that they haven't seen before about people who invest in them, care about them, um, is really important. And, when you add into that what's behind it and there's mercy and forgiveness and patience, that's probably something that a lot of those kids and even a lot of people in our country don't experience from others mm-hmm. who might mean well, but uh, you've crossed this line or I don't want to deal with you. I have to take care of myself and forget it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really important because I've also seen a few times where um, some of the most difficult campers who have leaders on them day in and day out, um, by the last day, they're kind of more engaged with everything, and they get in the bus, and they don't want to leave. They want to stay. And they spent the week causing the most trouble, but it was a tough entry for them, and they realize now what... uh, Hidden Acres is about, Mm -hmm. and then they come back the following summer, and they have great stories, like Michaela does, like Shadrach does, um, and you get to see all those. And, uh, you know, often when we talk about payoff in ministry, we talk about it's not financially, it's long-term investment and seeing lives changed, not because you did it, but because God used you and others around you to do it and you get to witness it mm-hmm. and what a blessing that is because uh, you see that God is at work and those long nights um, uh, the times that are stressful and trying to fundraise and get things funded and and put together and built and and all of that is worth it because you get to provide a safe place for these kids you get to develop youth leaders, and they get a chance to essentially see the nations in their backyard. Uh, When I moved here, I was told this, and I'm not sure what it is 10 years later, but what I was told when I moved to Dallas is that Dallas County is only 25% white. Hmm. And I think when people, you know, when older generations think, think of the TV show Dallas, or when you might see, uh, I don't know if there's a housewife show here or something, you think of the glitz and glamour, because Dallas definitely has that. Mm-hmm. But right next to some of those areas are um, other areas that are very much lower and different on the socioeconomic scale. And Dallas is incredibly div- diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends in seminary who was a missionary in Nepal uh, told me that the biggest group of people from Nepal outside of that country live in Dallas. Hmm. Wow, um, and uh, it's quite a melting pot, and so it's very, very cool to see such a multicultural city and area 
be able to have a camp and resource like Hidden Acres who reaches out to all of them uh, wherever they live, wherever their situation is, whatever their ethnicity is, and for impacts to be made in all of those groups who have came mm-hmm. in different but um, powerful ways. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's seen in your staff. It's seen in who keeps coming back. It's seen in the stories that you've told and the pictures and the stories that you have on the walls. And it's very, very encouraging to see. And when you see a ministry model like that and you see how God has worked in that way, I think that is what inspires people and helps them to see that, you know what, for the most part, um, it's not going to be a flash in the pan. It's going to be a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of, I'm not sure this is even working. Should we stick with it? And uh, yet, even in those times where we think, oh, this is subtle, that's not a big deal, we need to do better, God is still glorified in that. One, because he's using that situation to affect the people who you're trying to help, but also he is growing you to help you to realize um, that you need to be dependent, which again goes back to why you guys are here. You're here in dependence, not because it's the easiest, most viable thing to do long-term necessarily uh, in the in the tangible way, but uh, spiritually, what you get to see and who you get to invest in year after year, uh, the fruit is evident in stories, in buildings that have been built here, in lives that have been changed, people who come back to visit and then keep investing in the next generation. And that long-term legacy, um, that ongoing ministry perspective, playing the long game, is what our world needs because there are too many flashy examples either on social media or whatever the new trend is and in 2020 trends don't last for months anymore they last for (laughs) days right and so this doesn't work let's try this or let's switch that up and oftentimes in ministry you have to be versatile and sometimes you have to switch up things like that Mm -hmm. but overall if your base goal is um what's the main group i'm trying to reach um, how can we keep reaching them and trying different avenues, but keeping your main perspective and vision of we need to invest in these people for the long term so they can help uh, the people who are around them in their own situations, but also help their own peers, either as peers or when they get older to come back and invest in them in a ministry just like this. Mm. I love it, man. Um, so for people who want to follow Hidden Acres to learn more about it and support it, where can they find Hidden Acres info on the web? Yeah, our um, website is hiddenacres.org. Um, we also have a, a Facebook account, Hidden Acres, and um, we have an Instagram as well. So uh, yeah, we do operate partially on donations as well. So our, our fees, um, our retreat fees and camper fees and all of that doesn't provide everything we need for the year. So um, we do have a number of donors and um, we we survive on that as well. So um, we appreciate everybody that gives to what we're doing and believes in what we're doing. So um, we're just grateful to be a part of this. And God has continued to bring more and more people alongside of us to help us continue this mission and this vision. So it's exciting to see where God's taken it. And 
and some of the new things that and new um, outreaches that that we've been um, working on. So anyway, uh, it's it's a joy to see what God does here. Very cool, man. Uh, Tim, thanks again for joining me. I'm excited about our continued partnership, and we'll continue praying for you and Hidden Acres. Thank you, Jeff. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Tim for joining me. I encourage you to head to hiddenacres.org to check out their organization and how you can support them on mission. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Podbean, or TuneIn. Also, you can now catch us on Eternity Ready Radio every Monday night at 6 Central. I hope this episode is beneficial for you as you think about how to approach youth missions, and I encourage you to share it with anyone who is also involved in planning those trips. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios.